ladies and gentlemen, Cardinal fans of all ages, welcome to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. I'm Chris Grace. I'll be your host, joined every week by current Wesleyan Athletic Director and former head football coach, Mike Whalen. Each week, Coach and I will interview some of your favorite former Cardinals and find out exactly what they've been up to. Without further ado, it's time to check in with the coach, Mike Whalen. Well, Coach, another edition of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score, and we've got another spectacular guest lined up. Boy, I keep asking myself, how could Wesleyan have all of these fantastic alums that are involved in the world of sports? And somehow, Coach, you've done it again. Your wife has done it again. You've got us yet another fantastic guest. And, Coach, it's just great to be with you for another week. Yeah, we're certainly uh, really excited to uh... – have uh, Ted Dalton from the Boston Celtics with us uh, this week. Ted, a former Cardinal football player, uh, class of 1995, is uh, uh, you know former member of our athletic advisory council and uh, great, great uh, uh, Wes alum that uh, loves to give back to our football program. And and uh, you know I'm excited to get him on the on the show today. Yeah, we look forward to talking to talking to Ted as and you know earlier today, Coach and I actually. Um, we, we, we did talk to Ted and, and what I would like everyone to know is, you know, we're doing our best to try to give you the best podcast we can every week with the best guests. Obviously 2020 is a difficult year for everybody. And because of that, the way we have to record these podcasts, we're dealing with big time guests with busy schedules. So sometimes the audio quality at all times won't be, you know, to the perfect standard, but coach, I know that everyone appreciates the guests we get and we're going to do the best we can to try to bring them the highest quality audio each week. But before you say anything from time to time, life happens and sometimes everything's not going to be perfect, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to forget how, how appreciative we are for all of our guests taking our time. And, and, and as we keep going forward, we're going to keep figuring out the technology and try to get everything as perfect as possible. Yeah. And when we don't, all we do is we blame Michael Bryan. And, th- and that's all right. Michael Bryan, our producer, that's a perfect segue. So Michael Bryan is with us. And if you have any complaints, questions, or comments, or you want to talk about some future guests you'd like to have on the show, Mike, how can they reach out to us? Yeah, so to all of our listeners and fans out there, we'd love to hear from you guys. So uh, if you want to reach out to us with any suggestions or feedback, uh, you could email us at athletics at uh, You could also contact us on social media, at, on Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm at West underscore athletic. So we'd love to hear from you. There you go. You heard it. Mike O'Brien, if he says it, that must mean it's true. All right, coach. They've heard enough of us. Now it's time to check in with our guest for today's show. He is a graduate of Wesleyan in 1995, the senior vice president of corner partnerships and development for the Boston Celtics. It's time to introduce Mr. Ted Dalton. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Chris Grace, along with the coach Mike Whalen, producer Mike O'Brien, and we are so fortunate to have yet another fantastic guest with us here on the podcast as we welcome in class of 95, former Wesleyan Cardinal football player, and he is now the senior vice president in charge of corporate partnerships and development for the Boston Celtics. It is my pleasure to welcome Ted Dalton. Ted, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join Coach and I on our podcast. My pleasure, Chris and Coach. Great to see you too, and and uh, looking forward to a fun fun hour. 
Well, you know, Ted, just to, just to start things off, we like to talk to all of our guests about their experiences at Wesleyan. Uh, first and foremost, how did you end up in Middletown? And and try to sum up uh, your, your overall experience as a Cardinal. It's a great question. Um, I think unlike a lot of uh, college application experiences today, uh, when I was at Wesleyan, you know, getting out of high school in 91, you only applied to a couple schools. And so I applied to four. Wesleyan, Trinity, uh, University of Rochester, and University of Chicago. And, you know, I just, I, they're all great schools and, and uh, you know, had good feelings with all of them. But at the end of the day, I, I just, I had the, the best feeling at Wesleyan. And that was a couple reasons. One, I met a couple of my future teammates uh, on the visit there. I had a great visit with uh, Eric Mangini, who uh, was a sophomore, I think, at the time. And, um, you know, I just, it, it was a sort of, it came down to a, a gut instinct. And, and I felt like Wesleyan was the right place for me. And, and all these years later, I, I still feel that way. Um, my experience was at, at Wesleyan was, um, it was something that I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, there were certainly a lot of challenges, as there are uh, anywhere. I think one of the things that's fantastic about Wesleyan um, being sort of a, a melting pot of, of all different types of personalities, uh, perspectives, races, cultures, everything else, was that coming from a you know an all-boys Jesuit high school in Dorchester, Massachusetts, to a place like Wesleyan, um, was exciting, was daunting, was challenging, was exhilarating all at the same time. And, you know, I think the, the big, biggest thing that I took away was it sort of, it helped me look at things maybe differently and from a different purview and perspective than I had before. And sometimes that changed my thinking or my opinion on things, but then in other cases it, it strengthened uh, what I already sort of felt or thought or believed. So. I think it really helped me grow as a, as a person. Um, obviously the education and, you know, all those good things, the, the reputation of Wesleyan are, are, you know, we don't need to explain that. And so that, that certainly was incredibly critical, but I, I think me as a person growth and development was, was key. And, and then lastly, the, the lifelong friends and relationships and it, and it, being an athlete as well, I, I was very fortunate and very grateful for that because I think it took those relationships from where my kids call my best friends their uncles, right? It's not, you know, hey, my buddy from college. It's no, it's Uncle John or Uncle Ian or Uncle Brendan. You know, these are these are guys that that you know were each other's kids' godparents and you know weddings and funerals and you know, good to bad. It's, it's, we're, we're connected and it. it's more than just friends. It's, it's a, it's a kinship. So I think that's when I look back on everything, that that's the thing that I'm most grateful for. Great. Uh, Ted, talk to us a little bit about your football experience. Like what was, um, what was maybe one of your most memorable football moments at West? Wow. Um, I think the, the biggest moment was probably junior year. We're at Williams. Both teams are 6-0. and It's late in the season, so the snow's falling, and the place is packed. It, it was probably the, the biggest time game that I played in at, at Wesleyan, just because of the 
sort of where the teams were. Uh, obviously, Williams is, as you know, coach um, better than anybody. Um, such a fantastic program for a long, long time. That that was really a, a, an amazing setting. Now it didn't end up the way we wanted it to. Um, so that certainly was a, was you know something that that didn't end up playing out the way we we had thought and and had prepared for. But um, that was probably the biggest moment. I, it'd be hard to say what the best moment was. Um, you know, I certainly remember my first practice. I remember um, getting hurt junior year, um, but then we only had two games left in the season and, you know, was able, with the medical staff, able to play through it. I remember our last game, I'll never forget, against Trinity. And again, a game that didn't go our way, but just again, that camaraderie and that brotherhood, even from some people on the other team that, that we had been competing against for four years. Um, so I think, I think those are the, those are the memories that, you know, from a playing perspective, certainly stand out. So, so Ted, obviously working for the Boston Celtics, it doesn't get much bigger than that anywhere in the world of sports. I mean, you're talking about one of, if not the most famous franchise that we have in all of sports here in the United States and, and around the world. Um, explain to the listeners how playing a Division three sport um, kind of prepared you in a way for what you're doing now in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of people that, that we have on obviously played sports at Wesleyan, but, but explain like, you know, the person like obviously Eric Mangini ended up with the Browns and, and we know where coach Belichick has ended up, but you've ended up in this with the Celtics in a totally different sport yet. Uh, I'm sure that your personal experience playing division three football was a one of a kind thing that you, that you would never trade. And even though you're at such a, a huge place now with the Celtics, to experience that and to get to be one of the boys, um, explain exactly what that was like and, and how it kind of shaped what you're doing now. That's yeah, a great question. I, I think, um, you know, athletics just more broadly teach you so many great life lessons, teach you how to be a teammate, teach you how to work hard, teach you how to sort of overcome adversity, you know, learning through defeat and when things aren't going your way to not just give up, you know, how, how are you continually improving as a person, as an individual, but then as a part of a team where I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm probably biased on this, but I think football is arguably one of those sports where there's, there's more interconnectedness that needs to happen in order to be successful than arguably any other sport. Um, so I think a lot of those lessons have, have helped shape me and helped sort of prepare me for a career in the sports field. Um, it's amazing how many former athletes are in the sports business and, and it sort of seems pretty obvious, but, you know, I think you, you've got a lot of people who have, you know, high drive, have high ambitions, have, um, have that work ethic and that desire to, to always get better and to always improve. And that competitiveness is, is, you know, certainly an important part of it too. I would say that the, you know, the, the, teamwork aspect is is incredibly incredibly critical too you know at, at the Celtics we and this is a legacy that we're we're blessed to have but you know Red Auerbach you know was arguably one of the greatest coaches in any sport and and he consistently um you know brought the message of we we have to win as a team we're not going to win as individuals um you know even with guys like Bill Russell and Sam Jones and Kuzi and Heinsohn and, you know, 
Larry Bird, it goes on and on and on, all these amazing individual players. But I think if you ask every single one of them, they wouldn't have been as successful as they were as individual athletes, but more importantly as, as teammates if, if they didn't buy into that concept of team. So I think, I think we carry that through today. And I think for me personally, uh, I, I have a natural inclination to, to want to bring folks onto the group that I'm responsible for that are former student athletes. Um, because again, I think they've got a lot of the qualities and a lot of the skills and a lot of the sort of natural drive that it takes to be successful in a really competitive um, and, and fast-paced industry with a lot of hours, a lot of great stuff. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't sit here and say that, um, you know, I don't enjoy going to games and, you know, doing the, the things that I get to do as part of my job. But, you know, it, it gets to be a grind at times, especially if you have a family and other responsibilities. So I, I, I think, again, being able to focus and having that drive and having that competitive sort of uh, nature and, and always wanting to get better is has been critical for me uh, throughout my career. And, and Ted, um, you know, I mean, you, you've been you've been so you know, uh, uh, engage with, with the football program and, and even, you know, in the larger sense as a, as a member of the athletic advisory council. And, um, you know, I think, you know, that, that, you know, cause you fielded so many questions from kids that you've mentored through the years, so many student athletes, you know, uh, come out or as they graduate from Wesleyan, you know, say, Oh, I'd love to get into coaching or I'd love to get into working with a professional team or, you know, those kinds of things. And, and so one of the questions I like to ask is, you know, tell our, tell our listeners about what I call the grind, you know, yeah. those first couple of years when you get out and, you know, you're not making a lot of money, but you're doing what you love. I just love hearing those stories about, you know, kind of, you know, first of all, kind of your senior year, you know, when, when did you have that moment that you said, you know, I really want to do this. This is something that I want to do. And then, Talk to us about that grind that got you to where you are today. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I can tell you exactly when I knew this is what I wanted to do. I was living at Nine Vine Street senior year with uh, four other student athletes. Uh, Tobin Anderson, who was on the basketball team, he had a, a brochure from UMass Amherst for their sports management program, grad program. And I looked at it and it sort of clicked. And I said, you know what, this is a great way for me to marry. I was on the sort of finance consulting trading track, you know, Wall Street or something like that, given my, my economics um, degree, but it, it just clicked for me. And I said, you know what, if I can marry sort of my, my education and sort of my passion for sports, that would be a, a, a great way to go. And so I, I did a lot of homework, did a lot of research, um, didn't go right to grad school, had a, a little uh, segue into into Spain to, to play another year of football because I, I wasn't quite ready to give that up yet. But um, so that that's when I knew that, that this was the career that I wanted to be in. First couple of years were tough, though. I mean, so I went to, to UMass Amherst after Wesleyan, uh, their grad program, sports management. Uh, did did the year version um, and went down to Disney Sports and it was that was my first sort of real experience. I had an internship prior to, to getting into grad school at an agency in Boston. Uh, um, so yeah, my first year out of grad school down at, at Disney Sports um, was an amazing experience. But 
talk about low low person on the totem pole. It was whatever needed to get done needed to get done, and and you were the person to do it. And um, you know, I, I I think maybe rightly or wrongly so, you you sort of sit there and you you have a little realization moment. You say, okay, I went to Wesley and graduated in four years, one of the best schools in the country. Then I go to grad school, and, and I'm not trying to say this to sort of self-aggrandize, but you know, then you go to one of the best sports management programs in the country, and I'm sitting here uh, schlepping t-shirts over to uh, you know to another building. Like I, I didn't I didn't do all this and work this hard to sort of now be in the. But then you realize, hey, you know what? This is what you got to do, and you think about your experiences in high school or college. You know, particularly college, you're you know you're a freshman you're shagging balls, you're doing other things, you know, that, that, you know, shows that you're willing to do what you need to do to be a part of that team and, and to, to earn your right to be on that team. So again, I think it goes back to the teamwork where, you know, whether it was at Disney and then from there I went, uh, got into the agency side of the business uh, in Jersey. And that was an incredible experience. Um, but it was a lot of the same things. Like, you know, you were, you were doing whatever you were asked to do. And I can remember some projects and, and some things that happened during that time. And, and again, it was sort of the same thinking. It's like, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't work this hard to now be 25 years old and doing this, like taking a FedEx into Manhattan at 1030 on a Friday night, because that was the last FedEx place open. And we needed to get a proposal to a potential client on a Saturday morning. Like, Again, low person on the totem pole. It's like Dalton's going to run it in and, you know, drive into Manhattan. And it takes me an hour and a half to find a parking spot in Hoboken where I was living at the time. So, you know, those are those are the things that I'll never forget. But I think were maybe at the time I didn't realize how valuable those things were. But then fast forward to now, even a couple of years after that, or maybe two days after you sort of look back and you say, it's part of the process. It's it's part of your development, and it's it's showing the people around you that you're you're willing to do that grind. You're willing to sort of do what's what's necessary to to advance and and you know better yourself and your career. Everybody, you're listening to Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score, official Wesleyan Athletics podcast. We're so lucky today to be joined by. Senior VP of Courtner Partnerships, uh, Corporate Partnerships and Development for the Boston Celtics. Class of 95, former Cardinal football player, Ted Dalton is with us. Uh, Ted, so uh, just to piggyback on that, you, you go through the grind and, and you, you work your way up. How did you end up with the Celtics? How did you get your break and end up, uh, end up representing the Boston Celtics uh, as their senior VP? And, and, and how did you get in the door originally with the franchise? Yeah, so a lot in sports... Um is about relationships and connections and, and establishing those those great um, those great relationships. And uh, a former professor of mine at UMass, Amherst, uh, Bill Sutton, was consulting for the NBA. And where I was working, I loved the company and, and loved the, the people that I worked with and for. But it was time to get back to Boston. My wife and I, our families are both from here. And, and I had sort of accomplished everything that I had set out to accomplish at the agency. And, and so I called Bill and I said, Hey, do you know anybody at the Celtics? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I know the team president. Uh, again, he was consulting for the NBA at the time, working directly with, uh, with David Stern. 
And so Bill connected me with, uh, who's still my boss to this day, Rich Gotham. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was that it was tapping into my network, but it was also having to be good fortune and good timing. They had a director of, of sales and, and development that was leaving. Um, they liked that I had sort of different type of experience where it was on the agency side, where we we're on the buy and the sell side and not just working for a team. So again, it was, it was sort of tapping into my network, but then also um, good timing. So it's, uh, I think in sports for, you know, for people who are thinking about transitioning into that career or for maybe some young alum or, or um, current students, that that is critical if, if you don't develop that network. And it's important in any industry, but I think in sports, it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more tangible. You develop those relationships and, and you, can, you can rely on them to, to really come through because it is such a relationship business. And, and Ted, so we were talking earlier before we before we went live, and you just kind of gave us a little bit of an overview, kind of of just how truly unique this season was. And um, so, if you if you don't mind, kind of kind of just take us through, through the whole the whole season and and how how the transition went, and you know, just you know, obviously now the season's over, and looking back, kind of kind of what, what what are your takeaways? Yeah, man, I, I, I don't think any of us, if we look back uh, on the last six months, could have predicted it. You know, it's beyond our wildest dreams, right? It's, it's so surreal. It's, I've been saying all along, it's like we're in a mood. Um, I can remember I was at a, at a dinner with one of our partners um, on March 6th, and this is just when stuff's kind of starting to come out. We're thinking about, well, are we, you know, is this just like the flu? Like, should we shake hands? Should we not shake hands? Um, at a game, either a night or two later, and, and standing in one of the corner bombs, and there's you know nineteen thousand people in the arena, and, and talking to one of my coworkers and saying like, "There's definitely people in here that have COVID, right? It's just there's no chance there's not." As little as we knew about it, and then a couple of days later, we're shut down. You know, I mean, and, and I credit. Uh, Adam Silver for for taking a leadership position and, and being decisive about uh, you know saying we, we can't risk anyone with this because we just don't know enough and, and we have to take some time. Even then, though, we said all right, a couple weeks go by, it's not a big deal. Just wash your hands, like everyone was saying. Right, we'll be back to work. But what we also did was, hey, we've got to prepare. Like if this thing goes for a while, we've got to prepare for an extended kind of break. And so across the organization, we evaluated where are we at with corporate partners? Where are we at with our media partners? Where are we at with season ticket members? How are we going to stay connected to all those very important constituencies over however long this is? And we had a little bit of experience uh, back in 2011 with the lockout, but it was obviously much different because we, we weren't talking about a global pandemic and a global economic crisis when you know, we have a lockout in our league because there's a, a labor dispute. So it, we were able to, I was, it was good that we were able to rely a little bit on that experience, but I think the, the biggest challenge that we had and, and like all businesses pretty much and, and universities and, you know, anyone that does anything in person, it's like, okay, one day we're all together. The next day we're all remote. 
kids from school, parents from work, you know, co- everything. And so I, I'm, I'm proud of the way our entire organization sort of made that transition, but we, we learned a lot, you know, and, and I think one of the biggest things, one of my biggest takeaways was how can we be really smart about our business? How can we evaluate sort of what's, what's important and what's critical and what's going to make an appreciable difference whether it's for our fans, our partners, or for the organization, for the team. And what are some of the things that are kind of nice to do that we've kind of always done, but maybe don't have the quite the impact that we think that they do. And, and so it kind of forced us to reevaluate a lot of those things and sort of maybe say, all right, the kind of nice to do things that don't really make an impact for any of those constituents that I talked about, probably don't need to do those anymore. And then let's double down on the things that we know are really important for all those groups. And then what are the new things that maybe we didn't think we would be attacking for maybe the next year or two, but because of the situation, we need to accelerate those things. So, you know, I, I think it, I think it really helped us think about our business more efficiently uh, and from different perspectives that, that we were forced to, that we probably otherwise wouldn't have. And then the restart was, um, you know, it was like, hold your breath especially those first couple of weeks, the guys go down right after 4th of July, practicing, getting tested all the time. And you're just sort of waiting for, all right, can we get to the end of July and start playing games before something goes crazy down there? You know, I mean, as, as well as the NBA constructed this bubble and all the security procedures and all the testing, and again, social distancing, and you have to wear a mask and everything else you're talking about, 22 teams of 30 something people, all the NBA personnel, all the Disney personnel. And the fact that there wasn't anything that derailed games, practices, you know, knock on wood, we still have the, you know, the finals to get through, but nothing short of amazing. Um, So I'm incredibly grateful for all the work and all the people, either from our organization that went down there, from the league, the TV partners across the board. It just was an amazing effort, um, it, a ton of work. But, you know, again, I, I, I think it it provided relief for fans. We were able to do a lot with our partners and, and media partners to, to replace a lot of the value that was lost during the hiatus. Um, and like I said to you guys before the call, you know, Eastern Conference Finals or your conference finals in any professional sports league, I think, is is an amazing accomplishment. I mean, we always, and this is not to sound the way it's going to sound, this was, this is just sort of something that is being a part of the Celtics. We don't, we don't celebrate, Doc said it, so I'll, I'll steal his words, like we don't hang conference championship banners, we hang NBA championship banners, you know, so, but I think you can still be very proud of anytime you're either in the playoffs or particularly in the conference finals, especially in sports like basketball and hockey, where you have 82 game schedule, you've got seven game series. It's difficult in any sports, but I think there's another level based on the amount of games. So incredibly proud of the team um, regardless. And then you layer on the fact that these guys were down there for almost three months, a lot of them without their families. Um, You talk to folks that are on the staff that were down there and like, there's not a whole lot to do and for good reason because they didn't want people going to you know restaurants and parks and you know go golfing and do all this stuff because you had to keep it contained so and i give these guys a ton of credit what they did and and 
I've heard commentators say, you know, these guys get paid a lot as part of their job. And yeah, that's all true, but they're also very highly specialized. There are many people in the world that do what professional athletes do. And so, um, people are welcome to their opinion, but, uh, you know, these guys, yeah, are compensated well, but they're also human beings, you know? So I think that that part of it can't be overlooked, but what those guys achieved down in, in Orlando was, was pretty amazing. So. So, Ted, just to piggyback on that, um, obviously, getting away from the basketball side of things, you know, what you deal with in a day-to-day basis, talk about, we, you talked about some of the, the challenges you face, but just how creative do you have to be to satisfy um, some of your corporate partners when there's no home games, when there's no luxury boxes, when there's no home telecasts, um, you know, when the games are being played at 12 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday, uh, talk about some of the challenges that you face from your side of things, uh, away from just the, the game of basketball itself, but, but with the corporate partnership side of this whole ordeal. Yeah, it was a huge challenge, you know, because we have all different types of, of partners, uh, you know, whether you're talking about on the corporate side or on the media side, um, and particularly on the corporate side, you know, we, we've got huge multinational global partners that, you know, want the that that global television or social media exposure and then you've got um smaller regional or local companies where like you said the being in the td garden is is absolutely essential to to their business and, and why they partner you know mike and i have have enjoyed a beverage in the in the putnam club at the td garden on on a few occasions and that type of experience you know you, you can't you can't replicate that um if you're not there. And so, but, you know, it, I, I think the, the thing that helped us in this situation, again, kind of going back to my, my comparison to the lockout year, we weren't the only ones going through this, you know, companies that, that, you know, maybe from a sales or a business development perspective, um, take people out to dinner or, go to other events or travel or do these things that, that create those bonds and those relationships, they weren't able to do those things anyway either. So it's not like it was just, we were in a position of, Oh, Hey, I can't go to the TD garden because there's a labor dispute and they're not playing games. It was like, everything was shut down. So, and, and you're certainly not happy for that, but I think that that gave us the ability. We, we were all kind of in this together. Right. And so you said, okay, this is a, a terrible situation for everyone, uh, both from a health perspective and from an economic perspective. How can we together figure out ways? Okay, yeah, we can't be at the TD Garden. You can't play, you know, do a play on the parquet where people come in three hours before a game and get to play on the court and then change and go to dinner and have a great experience. How can we? How can we replace that with something that's virtual that will still get you? connected with people in this sort of crazy world that we're living in right now. So, um, yeah, I think it was just a lot of open and candid conversations with our partners. Um, you know, from a media perspective, it was great that we had a lot of the seating games and, and we were able to restart in Orlando because obviously for NBC sports, who's our uh, television partner and, and, um, Beasley media 98.5, who's our radio partner that was critically important to get those games. And then the first round of the playoffs, uh, for NBC sports and, and the rest of the playoffs for, for 98.5, you know, the, those are really important. So again, from a business perspective, having the ability first qualifying to go down to Orlando, one of those 22 teams, um, and then getting into the playoffs and, and having a nice deep run, 
was critically important for us in, in providing the value from a commercial perspective, but then also for our fans to talk to our CMO and, and the ability to engage season ticket members and fans, um, you know, people who buy premium products like luxury suites and club seats and things like that to be able to have a relevant conversation during a time when we're still playing was critically important. So again, it's, it's sort of this symbiotic relationship between the basketball team and the front office. It's, you know, we, we can't rely on the team winning games to sell tickets or bring on corporate partners or provide value to our media partners, but um, it certainly helps when the team is winning. And so it's, it's, again, it's just sort of yin and yang that, that we have between basketball and, and business to sort of support each other. Um, but yeah, this, this one was, was one for the books. I'll tell you that. No question about it. Um, so, so Ted, we talked a little about, and you talked a little bit about how, you know, the things you've, um, you know, you learn through sports, the lessons you learn through sports and, and, you know, how that still applies to what you're doing today. I know you're a double major at West. Um, but are there things on the academic side that you that you learned at West that you've also continued to you know employ um, you know as part of your you know daily regimen as well? Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I think when I look back at at Wesleyan, and then if I go a little bit farther back to to BCI where I went to high school, I, I think the two critical things I learned how to learn in high school. That's sort of one of the big Jesuit tenets. Like they, they, if nothing else, you're going to learn how to learn. Like you, you will leave this place and you'll know how to educate yourself. I think at Wesleyan, you know, given sort of the, the path that I took from an academic standpoint, it really opened up my intellectual curiosity. And I, I think, I think I had a good handle on, on how to learn once I got to Wesleyan, but then at Wesleyan and beyond, it sort of it peaked that that sort of, I guess, thirst for knowledge and, and that that wanting to continue to learn more. Because I think at at, at West, you know, you, you have to the, the academic um, requirements are are pretty strenuous as they should be. You know, there, there's no sort of skating by um, whether you're an athlete or not. So I think the, the demands from a from an academic standpoint sort of put you in a position where if you're not, again, sort of like we talked about before with, with athletics, if you're not constantly looking to improve and, and educate yourself and, and learn and, and read and do those things, I, I think that's really what um, made a, the probably the biggest impact on me academically at, at Wesleyan, which I've carried through to today. And, and my group gets, um, I'm sure annoyed, bored, um, you know, roll your eyes when, when I'm, you know, espousing, Hey, you got to read books, you got to read articles, you got to constantly be educating yourself on, you know, what are the trends? What are the different things that are going on in our industry outside of our industry? How can we, how can we continue to learn? Um, because I, I think if, if you're not doing that, you're, you're going to get left behind. Um, so I think that's probably the, the biggest thing. And it was, and some of those classes, I, I think, um, particularly in economics, uh, some of the, the classes junior year, I can remember studying for some of those midterms and finals. And it was, 
and I recently came across some of it. We were we were cleaning out um, some stuff at, at my parents' house and <laughs> came across some old notebooks from from my econ classes, and it looked like Greek. I was like, how the hell did I even manage to get through this? But <laughs> thankfully, um, made a go of it, and and uh, yeah. So I think again, the the problem solving, the the you know that intellectual curiosity, I, I think really sort of was, was ignited and at, at West and something that I take through to today. So Ted, you, you talked about, you know, your, your economics background, but, but also having a government background. Um, I, I want to touch on this. Not only do we deal with COVID, but obviously an unprecedented year socially, uh, in the world of sports and in the NBA. Um, yeah. you know, I think Adam Silver amongst all sports, is the commissioner who gets it the most in terms of understanding who his players are, what they stand for, and how to support them. Can you talk about um, your experience, not only, I don't know if you know Adam Silver personally, but just uh, the way that he handled this entire situation and how the NBA was really ahead of the game in terms of the way they handled everything socially and how they respected the players and, and gave them the opportunity to use their voices. And, and when they needed time, they gave them that time and, and seemed to support them better than a lot of the other leagues have. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see the, in short order, um, not only in the NBA, and, and, I, and I would sort of caveat that with, uh, I think the NBA, um, I think the reason why um, Adam Silver and, and the players were able to do what they did in Orlando is there was already that trust, that relationship between the league and the players. Um, I think the players trust Adam. I think they, they know that he comes from a genuine place and, and he, along with everyone else in the league are there to support as are we in the teams. And so I think you've got this great um, already established relationship around trust and so I think, and again, it's not to say that everything's perfect, but uh, I think if you're not starting there, then you don't have the opportunity to do a lot of the things that, that folks saw down in Orlando. Um, we as an organization, and, and some folks who are listening might have, have read this, we're, we're taking a, a pretty strong stance um, on all the social justice um, you know, sort of discussions, the racial inequality, uh, things that are, that are coming to light. Um, that unfortunately haven't had the, the proper attention, you know, in, until you have, you know, some of the, the killings and, and other things that have happened over the last handful of months. Um, I think finally most people have woken up and have said, I, I, if, I, if I'm not a part of the solution, I'm, I'm a part of the problem. And, uh, you know, particularly for white America, it's hard to kind of talk about that, but looking the way I look, I'm, I'm a white male. Um, you know, if, if I'm not an active part of the solution, I'm, I'm a part of the problem. And, and so that might be difficult for a lot of us to sort of come to that realization, but then you, you sort of look at it and, and I've had a lot of conversations within and, and outside of the organization. I, I think the bottom line is, you know, th this is also a human rights issue, right? It's, it's not, it's not a political issue. It's it's a human rights issue, and it's it's respecting everyone, regardless of their race, color, or creed. You know, and I think the NBA's history, um, 
you know, which you can look at and say, okay, it's, it's predominantly African-American. Um, you know, these are guys, you, you've got really savvy, socially active guys. I look at, you know, on our team, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and, and Jason Tatum and Ennis Cantor. I mean, these guys have been very vocal, but, but in a really thoughtful and smart way. It's not just, it's not off the cuff. It's not, you know, anything that you could look at and say, Hey, I think this is insincere. It's, it's all coming from, you know, a place where it's, it's genuine. And so I think we, as a team, I think the league need to do whatever we can to support what, what will hopefully make a difference. So we, we've launched um, Celtics United, which is a minimum of a 10 year, $25 million initiative to combat things like, you know, uh, inequity in healthcare and, um, you know, law and, and justice inequalities and economic empowerment, you know, how can we help black and brown owned small businesses? Um, we, we've got six different pillars where we're really trying to, you know, equity and education, things like that, where for whatever reason, um, you know, and there are a lot systemic racism being a part of it that you say, okay, there, there are things that need to change in this country. And, and, you know, going back to Wesleyan and tying it, you know, kind of full circle, I think Wesleyan has always been sort of considered a, a liberal school. Um, but I think more so Wesleyan has been a, a place where people can, and hopefully in a, in a safe way, talk about you know, different perspectives on all these things, race and, you know, police brutality and all these other things that you say, okay, they're not easy conversations because you may have a family member that's a member of, of law enforcement and they may do really good work and, and help keep people safe. But then on the other hand, you sort of have the things that have been happening, you know, over the last six months and over the last however many years. And it's hard to reconcile those things because, you know, people shouldn't be getting killed based on the color of their skin. But that's, those are tough conversations to have and to have in a safe place. And I think, you know, President Roth, I, I read, um, I think it was his latest book. I didn't read the book, but I read a few excerpts that, you know, whether, whether, whatever, whatever end of the sort of spectrum you're on for whatever issue, as long as it's respectful and it's, it's done, you know, in a safe way, there should be able to, to be that discourse. And, and I think that conversation around a lot of the, and there's, but there's some stuff that's just right and wrong. Right. And, and there's, you know, that, that I think hopefully everyone is starting to understand, you know, there are things that are happening that just can't continue to happen. And so our, our goal as an organization is to, to be a part of the solution um, and, and put a lot of time, energy, resource. We have, we have a staff of about a hundred and I don't know, 30 people. We've probably got over a hundred people directly involved on all those, those six pillars that I talked about. We've got uh, our pretty much our entire ownership group is supporting financially and otherwise it, it's amazing to see the groundswell of support. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's interesting hearing some of the conversations that are happening now or some of the conversations that were happening X number of years ago when I was there at Wesleyan, it's, it's, um, it's a shame that it's taken this long to, to get us to a point where it seems like there's some great momentum behind what's happening. Um, 
so again, we're we're just hoping that that over time we can we can really affect some change and, and make a difference. Great. Um, so Ted, one uh, one of the things that that you know I, we've been asking you know all of our guests um, is you know as you know uh, uh, students today and, and and even even parents that are that are um, you know uh, putting their kids in college or. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, debate and, and conversation about, quote unquote, the value of a liberal arts education. So, you know, looking back on your own experience, you know, what if you were going to make an argument for the value of a liberal arts education, what would that argument be? And then, you know, on top of that, just uh, if you were going to give one piece of advice to our current student athletes, what would that be? So I think the value of a liberal arts education, um, it, it's, I think it's even more valuable today than it was when I was there, a coach, when you were there, because I think just with the way our sort of our, our broader sort of economic environment is so dynamic, where, you know, my grandfather went to University of Kansas, graduated was a chemical engineer for Procter and Gamble for 40 years and he retired at 62. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Right. And so I think the value of a liberal arts education equips that person with the ability to have flexibility in their career. And so the notion that you just don't, and, and it's, I would say that, you know, if, if you're 17 or 18 years old, my, my best friend from high school knew he wanted to be a doctor. So the minute he got to BU, he started taking biology and medical classes, and then he went to med school, and he's a doctor. Go figure, right? Um, I think if you know that definitively, then, you know, sort of a, a, a more focused approach from the jump might make sense. But I, I think, honestly, you ask most 18-year-old kids, okay, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? answer for you right so I, I think to me the the beauty of liberal arts education again kind of that going back to, to sort of that intellectual curiosity and that that kind of you know trying to to, to be well-rounded and well-educated I've always thought that you know you don't necessarily want to be a, a jack-of-all-trade a master of none but I do think there's incredible value in having a, a broader and more diverse educational experience than sort of being you know, pigeonholed in, into one area. Um, I just think it makes a more well-rounded person. I think it gives you flexibility in your career. Um, and and I, I, you know, having gone through it, I, I just think it's a more interesting way to spend four years, you know, with your with your college experience from an academic standpoint. So, so that's that's the first question. The second question: What would I advise student athletes on? I, you know, I would, I, I think in looking back again, I, you know, I kind of alluded to this before the, the friendships and the relationships, I think as a student athlete, you get caught up in, and in a good way, you get caught up in, okay, did we win this game or didn't we win this game? And I'm not telling any student athlete not to sort of, you know, winning, you, know, you, you compete to win. Right. But I, I think it, and again, it might just be a, a sort of a factor of, of age and perspective. I know, you know, 
when I was at Wesleyan, I didn't always have the great, uh, the, the best perspective on things. And it, you know, you lose a game, and it, it takes you to Wednesday or Thursday of the following week to sort of shake it off. And but I, I think a little bit of perspective on it's what I remember about my experience at Wesleyan athletically are the the competition, competing. You know, maybe it's winning a play or winning a series. It's and yeah, am I disappointed that we didn't win more games? Sure, I would have loved to win. I would have loved to have had a little three championship. But just because we didn't win a little three championship when I was there doesn't mean that I look back on my experience and say, ah, you know what, that was a waste of time. Because we competed, we we bonded, we we had a common goal, and even if we didn't achieve it, I think. You, as I said before, you learn a lot of lessons through winning, but you also learn a lot from from losing too. And so, you know, you don't you don't want that to be the mentality. Like, I think Mike, you've done a great job with the program, and you know, have built incredible momentum, and, and you want to keep that going. Um, but I would say a little perspective on, and I think it can help you sort of get past that loss maybe a little bit more quickly. Like I said, he. I used to just be miserable to be around and, and you, you try to use that as fuel. Um, but I, I think that would, that would probably be one of the pieces of advice. I think the other thing too is enjoy the, the time, you know, it, it goes by so quickly. I think it was good. It was, I know for me personally, it was great that I didn't have too much extra time on my hands um, because that, that might not have gone well. Um, so having, having a lot on my plate was certainly good for me um, in, in managing my time. But, man, enjoy it because it goes by fast. Well, Ted, obviously, you know, you've battled for little threes. You've had to experience game sevens as a spectator at the Garden. You even, you even played, I'd imagine, for Paella in Spain. But what you're about to experience is more pressure than you have ever experienced, my friend, because it is time for a little segment that we like to call The Gauntlet. Coach and I are going to alternate asking you 10 questions all about Wesleyan and your experience at Wesleyan. We're looking for some quick, rapid-fire answers. The first thing that comes to your mind, Ted Dalton, class of 95, are you ready? I am ready. Coach, you're up. Start you off easy, Ted. Just you know, kind of break you in here easy. Favorite professor at West? Giuliani. Okay, who was the most influential person in your life? My parents. What was your first job after graduating from West? Uh. Gentle Giant Moving Company in Somerville. Nice. Okay, here's a tough one. If you were forced to cheer for one, would it be Amherst or Williams? Oh, man. I have, I have good friends that went to both. Can, can I get a pass? <laughs> I have to. I, I have to. I'll, I'll go with Williams because coach uh was there for a lot of years so I'll, I'll i'll go with that that allegiance when you were five years old what'd you want to be when you grew up 
I wanted to be a uh, professional football player and an astronaut. What is the best piece of advice that you've received in your life? Be thankful. In three words, describe your West experience. Amazing, challenging, and unforgettable. What do you miss most about Wesleyan? Just hanging out with my guys. Just being around, just hanging out on, you know, watching a baseball game on Foss Hill, going to practice, going to class, the whole the whole deal, but mostly just hanging out with the guys. What, what's the best Wesleyan highlight from the last 20 years? Got to be that that first little three championship. You're my man. You're my man. There you go. It, it's almost it's almost as if you were prepped for this interview, Ted. I'm not sure. There might have been some. some... I haven't talked. I haven't talked to Mike in six months. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, okay. Well, maybe the sec maybe the secretary gave you gave you some tips beforehand. I don't know who's prepping you for this debate. All right, here it is, Ted. This is the last one. This is the big one. Who is the one Wes alum? You would most like to have dinner with. Well, I've got enough with Mangini, so that's that's uh, I'll, I'll pass respectfully pass on that. Um, I don't know. There's so many. I guess the the easy answer probably is is Coach Belichick. You know, I've, I've met him very briefly a couple times, um, but just being born and raised in in you know Boston and. Having lived here most of my life, um, or a good portion anyway, and and seeing what he's done over his career, I think you know, arguably one of the greatest coaches in any sport. Probably, probably Coach Belichick. You passed. You survived. Oof, that was tough. That Williams Amherst one almost—I almost, I almost uh, threw it in there. So that gets a lot of people. That gets a lot of people. Yeah, no question. Have you kept track? Like, what's the, what's the... You're the first one that answered it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Ted, this has been awesome, man. We really appreciate you taking the time with us today. And, uh, you know, again, really, uh, uh, it's been great just following your career and all the success you've had. And, and uh, you know, again, I know I touched on it earlier, but... But, you know, I know since I've come back to Wesley and you, you've always been one of the guys that's, you know, stepped up in so many different ways to, to help us, whether it's with the football program, whether it's with the, you know, the broader athletic program here at Wesleyan, you know, being a mentor, you know, always willing to get involved, always willing to reach out to other alums to, to get them back to campus. And, you know, in terms of building what we're trying to build here, it's uh, having alums like you that are as committed as you are, that's uh, really made it all possible. So my seat. I can't thank you more and uh, appreciate our friendship and, and appreciate the time today. Well, thank you, Coach and, and Chris. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I think it's so important that, uh, you know, you sort of try to get back to, to places that have helped you get to where you are and, and shaped who you are. So um, I loved it. It was, it was a great experience and, and all the best to you guys. I, I think, uh, not without a lot of challenges, but I'm sure you guys will, will navigate through the year academically and athletically um, with fun. So best of luck with everything you can set in front of you and, and uh, 
really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right. Well, once again, we want to thank class of 95, Ted Dalton, Senior Vice President, Corporate Partnerships and Development for the Boston Celtics. For the coach, Mike Whalen. For producer, Mike O'Brien. I'm Chris Grace. This has been another episode of Chris and Coach Beyond the Box Score. Until next time, so long.